Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to episode 44 of Compliance Into the Weeds, a podcast with myself and my good friend Matt Kelly, where we take a deep dive into a compliance-related topic. Today, we really go into the weeds because we consider the intersection of the cannabis industry and compliance. Matt has recently written a blog post on this issue and also has a podcast up on his own site, Radical Compliance, where he interviewed Amy McDougall. And we use that as a starting point to talk about some of the issues for the compliance officer, for the legal professional, for the accounting professional that they may all encounter around the cannabis industry and complying with the regulatory framework for the states which have legalized marijuana for personal consumption and those states which have legalized it for medical purposes as well. It's a fascinating discussion of where the compliance industry is in in the cannabis industry and where it may be going. The episode comes in at around 20 minutes. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox and Matt Kelly back for another episode of Radical Compliance. Today, we take things into the weeds, literally, as Matt has uh, written and podcasted about compliance, careers, and the cannabis industry. So, Matt, uh, what got you interested in this uh, weedy topic? Uh, that First off, Tom, kudos for the best introduction I think you and I have ever had for compliance in the weeds. Um, this came to me kind of by accident. Uh, an acquaintance of mine, Amy McDougall, who is a compliance consultant out in Washington, D.C. at Clear Resources, uh, Amy sent me a note to list on the events page of Radical Compliance where she was going to be talking about uh, the cannabis industry and compliance challenges there. And so I said, well, the event is happening too quickly, but, you know, can't list it. Why don't we do a podcast? And I called her up and I talked with her. I thought she was going to talk more about challenges companies might have with employees who are smoking weed in states where that is legal, which is a compliance headache and an HR department headache that does exist. But she said, oh, no, actually, we're still stuck on what can compliance officers do professionally in the weed business, which is a big business. And we can talk about that, too. And she started going on about all of these professional ethical conduct questions that are endlessly fascinating and have no clear answers. And that is how we we stumbled upon this subject. So uh, I would say that uh, the um, name of the association, the National Cannabis Bar Association, has uh, probably the greatest URL I've seen, canbar.org. So uh, lots of firsts here on uh, compliance into the weeds. But Mm -hmm. uh, some of the numbers that uh, you've got in your um, blog post are really just astonishing. So for one, uh, legal marijuana sales hit $6.7 billion last year and could top 22 billion, literally in uh, four or five years. Uh, yep. The tax revenues from that have got to just be incredible. Um, mm-hmm. I think Colorado is probably the the most well known, having been the first to put this uh, squarely in the public sphere of sale with the uh, the taxation and their reporting. You know the taxes they're receiving, which no government in uh, in uh, no state government is going to. Uh, turn their nose at that sort of tax revenue. So uh, what what did your research or talking with Amy or just your general knowledge uh, show about the, the market itself and where it may be going? 
Well, you know, I as I am not a weed smoker myself. Uh, this is all just anecdotal and Google research I have found, but. Um, I do. I have known for a while it has been a big business. Even when marijuana was illegal throughout the country, there were magazines and businesses that catered to this somehow in very oblique ways. Um, but it, when you think about the growth that this industry would see going from 6.7 to 22 billion in four years, that growth rate is sky high. And uh, most other industries would kill for that kind of growth these days. Uh, I do know that marijuana is legal to consume in seven states so far. It will be legal in California next year to consume where it has already been legal for medical use. In Massachusetts, my home state, we have just legalized personal use and growth of it uh, this past year. And we are in the midst of the state legislature is uh, trying to tweak a commercial sale law right now and that we passed it by referendum that it will be legal for commercial business in 2018. And then the lawmakers here started tweaking what the voters had passed. And that's um, a considerable bone of contention here this summer. But your point about the taxes, the sales tax that had been proposed in Massachusetts was 28%. And that's a lot of money that can be generated here. Um, there are whole industries now. Uh, I know you and I have talked before. There is a miniature business following businesses that cater to the marijuana dealing. Uh, there is a Twitter feed, SEC filings on weed. There are publicly traded companies that sell grow shop operations and marijuana rolling papers and all of this. I think eventually... This is going to become a big commercial business. It's still mom and pop stores right now, which leads us into the compliance challenges. But like, this is no joke as a business. This is a real thing. And I've had more than a few lawyer friends of mine here in Massachusetts are kind of curious. How do we get in on this action? Matt, I just ran the numbers uh, on the $6.7 billion in sales last year. And even the low 8% tax in Texas, that's $800 million. Uh, so that's, yeah. uh, that's a lot of tax revenue. But uh, uh, really, the thing that intrigued me more than the numbers were the questions that you raised or have to be at least uh, posed for both um, legal compliant, legally trained compliance professionals, but also accountant, uh, CPA trained compliance professionals. So you've got a list of, uh, I think, really interesting starting points in your blog post, starting with lawyers mm -hmm. and accountants are required to report large uh, cash transactions to the government. But as we've discovered in Colorado, because banks cannot um, uh, or, or uh, marijuana businesses do not have access to banks, everything is a large cash transaction. So where does that leave us? Yeah. Well, so n nobody really knows. But at the moment, uh, and this is the point that Amy was raising when I talked with her, um, you know, you could be in the position of you're reporting a large transaction to the IRS or other government agencies, you, the lawyer representing your marijuana business client. Um, have you just ratted out your client to the feds, um, which could violate your attorney client privilege duties? Or are you not going to report this, in which case you're violating your ethical duties to the government that you're, this is what you're supposed to do. Um, it is a damned if you do, damned if you don't sort of question, and there is no clear answer to that yet. Uh, she also brought up this excellent point, I thought, that, okay, 
clearly the tension is that states are legalizing marijuana locally, but it is illegal at the federal level under the Controlled Substances Act. And in theory, Attorney General Jeff Sessions could enforce against some local commercial marijuana dealer. Uh, Okay, so let's say that Jeff Sessions does decide to indict somebody to set an example, which is very plausible because he is no fan of legalized marijuana laws. But if he does, he indicts somebody in federal court. What then? You know, where are you going to get your federal jury pool if it comes to that? Because if you indict someone here in Massachusetts, you are drawing from Massachusetts citizens to be on the jury. Well, we just voted decisively to legalize marijuana. Are you going to ask people how they voted in that ballot referendum? Are you going to ask them if they smoke weed? What if uh, they decide to take the fifth during jury selection? Like, are, And this is before the trial has even begun. This is just on jury selection. We go down this rabbit hole of like, how are we going to do this? Um, no good answers there. Uh, I, I know that apparently out in California now, one of the more difficult questions is whether lawyers should be allowed to own equity in marijuana businesses. And under the California state bar rules, a lawyer can. However, a judge, they have just decided, a state judge cannot own equity in a marijuana business. And that has led some people to say, well, why not? We're clearly we're saying there's a difference because there are two different standards here. What is that difference? Why is that important? What does this mean? Um, And then lastly, Amy brought up the excellent point that this is really the only thing I can think of and she can think of where clearly it's legal at the state level. It's illegal at the federal level. All sorts of thorny legal issues here that are unresolved. Okay, well, if you are a lawyer, the first rule of being a lawyer under professional guidelines is you have to have competence. How are we defining that for this situation. We we have got no idea what we're doing. That is the truth. And uh, when I was talking with some local lawyers here in Boston about how are we supposed to do this, they all said, I, I got no idea how we're supposed to do this. But it seems like a lucrative business, so I want to get in on it, but I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And, and all of these questions remain unresolved. And we are just at the point of saying, you know, how could compliance officers get in on this action? We haven't defined what the action is. We haven't talked about all those other compliance issues I mentioned at the top of the podcast about uh, employees who are smoking weed and what that might mean for people totally outside the marijuana business. You know, you are a, I don't know, a truck driver agency and you have uh, people who are smoking weed on the job. There's all sorts of employment law, tax law, licensing law implications And we have no idea how to staff up, and we don't even know what the staff should know or what the rule for these compliance staff should be. So uh, one other question just arose to me is uh, under uh, traditional profit disgorgement, would the state of Colorado have to disgorge their tax uh, returns from the marijuana business? An an excellent question, yes. And, uh, you know, how are you even going to enforce this? Are you going to have a federal judge? First off, where in Denver, who might have voted on this referendum when they legalized a while back, are you going to have a federal judge tell the legislature it has to fork over its hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, which uh, I'm not necessarily sure what the constitutionality around that would be. But like, how many rabbit holes do we want to go down? They are there. Um, I thought that it's just it. It does raise the question that 
the federal government is going to have to decide what it wants to do here. I would not be surprised if they try an enforcement sweep and quickly run into these practical problems of how would you really enforce a federal case at the jurisdictional level around the country. What if you wind up with different standards in one state versus another? Uh, what if we have jury nullification in Massachusetts? Do you really want that? But you don't have it in Oregon? Um, you know, it, It's a mess. And the federal government is going to have to decide at some point once and for all are we going to let this sleeping dog lie? Are we going to crack down? Are we going to legalize it nationally? I, I don't know, but the, that bridge is in the future, and we're going to have to cross it. Maybe if I could even uh, uh, transpose some uh, some further question. It's my understanding that uh, as a regulated industry, this is one of the most regulated at the state level. And because yes. of the regulations, they're actually more robust policies and procedures around the um, actual amount of uh, marijuana which is made available, that's purchased from suppliers, the amount of marijuana made available for sales, who the sales are to, and the total amount of sales. And then, of course, the cash that's generated from those sales for tax reporting purposes. So, uh, most interestingly, you have a highly regulated uh, industry with lots of requirements for policies and procedures, an industry that is bending over backwards to follow those legal requirements so that they can show that this uh, industry can be run uh, legally and for the benefit of uh, the state and the taxpayers of the state, yet that creates a complete audit trail for another jurisdiction, i.e. the United States, as opposed to the states, to prosecute them. So a dynamic tension uh, all the way around. What I find really interesting is that um, at least in other areas of corporate conduct that are very challenging, say FCPA or insider trading or something like that, most companies that stumble into an FCPA issue, they're big companies. They're sophisticated. They have a legal department. They may not like where they are. They may not know what to do, but they are big boys who can play NFL football. The businesses that are involved in legal marijuana right now, and one of them is filing to open a a little shop around the corner from my house, Um, these are mom-and-pop operations, and they are clearly going to need a ton of professional help on taxes, on policies and procedures, on licensing at the local municipal level, at the state level. They're going to need help, but if you are a lawyer – with these unclear professional practice questions still lurking, are you going to rush into this? And if something goes wrong, suddenly your legal license is in jeopardy because that's your job. That's your ability to earn a living. I could see a lot of lawyers keenly interested in this, but aware that it has this radioactive glow and we'll just stand aside and watch it for now until these questions get resolved. Okay. So then what we're going to have a unlicensed person who might be giving what looks and feels like legal advice, but they are not lawyers. So they don't have this law license concern that professional lawyers might, you know, how are we going to get around this? We, you know, nobody knows that is the truth. Nobody knows how we're going to get around this yet. Um, it's going to wind up having to be decided by state bar associations or state high courts who spell out rules of professional conduct It's going to vary from one state to another. And all the accountants who are listening, you guys have professional licenses too. You're going to get pulled into this. Um, You know, anybody who tries to touch this, you know, there's a level of complexity here that 
it does carry some risk. But intellectually, like it's fascinating stuff to think about. And I've, I've got no easy answer. So let me take, uh, take it a little bit different direction, Matt, because one of the things that intrigued me is when you have an industry that has a high risk, you tend to get innovative and new high-risk management techniques. So uh, mm-hmm. in the petrochemical industry or the energy industry where there's a high risk of an explosion, you tend to get the in- innovations in safety and very process-oriented around safety uh, from the companies that are committed to safety. And in the marijuana industry, what I've observed is because it's a a nascent, very new industry, they've embraced new technologies to help them comply with the regulations. So, for instance, uh, they are much more accepting of utilizing bitcoins for payment. But along with utilizing bitcoins, they have adopted blockchain, which gives a ironclad auditable trail of uh, supplies and sales that I articulated a little bit earlier. And so uh, I've been intrigued by the blockchain companies that are working in the marijuana industry to help create audit trails for the state regulators. And uh, I wonder if that that experience in that regulated industry may show the way for other industries or indeed other disciplines such as compliance to embrace new tools which would provide really substantive audit trails that cannot be modified or changed. Uh, one would hope, and it is a good point uh, to raise that uh, you know there are a lot of new technologies that could help out businesses in this field. I think the key question is going to be, will the businesses themselves have the management expertise to see it and the financial ability to execute on it, because many of them are small mom-and-pop shops, allegedly. Uh, on the other hand, at least the guys I see in my area who are talking about this, they're all half my age and they stare at their phones all day long. They assume they're probably more tech savvy than I am about the potential out here. I know at least one would-be entrepreneur in the Boston area who's thinking about some sort of payments app for the marijuana industry. How serious is this person? I am not sure. But the idea when the, they describe it to me is not a bad one. It seems to work. Uh, we could hope. And yeah, I, I think that people also need to keep in mind, if the market estimates are correct, that this industry is really going to grow by 25 or 30 percent year after year after year, eventually the big money is going to get over itself and going to get into this action. Um, you know, That's the sort of numbers that would have private equity investors falling all over themselves in any other category. I think in this category, they're staring at it and saying, huh, how is this going to work? As soon as the policies and procedures and governance are more mature, I bet they're going to rush in. And you know, if the early pioneers can figure out how to make this work at that practical level, all the more power to them. Uh, absolutely agree. The, um, the other thing that uh, really struck me, Matt, was that we started the conversation with, which are the employment-related issues and the HR-related issues. And you raised a series of questions. Um, what if you utilize uh, marijuana where it's legal in the state, but uh, your corporate policy uh, bans uh, this going forward? And uh, certainly in the safety area, if, if you're impaired and you're in a job which requires 
uh, some sort of uh, non-impairment or safety protocol, that could be a reason for a discipline up to termination. But uh, what about employees who are utilizing medical uh, marijuana for medical purposes? Would they have some sort of American Disabilities Act exemption? So, you know, uh, they could. Yeah. And I, I'll go on further. This is a real case. Somebody once told me several years ago when uh, marijuana was still le- illegal almost everywhere. But this was a compliance officer at a social services business in California who said that one of her drug counselors came out and said that he takes man- medical marijuana. And she didn't really know what to do, because that's not the same as sh- showing up drunk on the job, you know, if you show up, show up stoned on the job, sure, I think we've got some labor law precedent about how to handle that. But here he is claiming he's a protected class, doing something that clearly contradicts the spirit of what he's paid to do. If she fires him, does he have a complaint, but he takes it to who? The Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, which so he's filing a federal complaint that he's a protected worker for doing something that's illegal against federal law. How's that going to work? Now, I never know. I never found out what happened with that particular case, but that's a real case. And he's not going to be the only one before this is all said and done. Um, so I do wonder about that. You know, what if you are a police officer? Are you allowed to smoke uh, off the job when you've got a week's vacation and clearly it's not going to impair you when you come back? Can you do that? What if you're an FBI agent? You know, could you do it then? I, I don't know what the answers are. Maybe there are some answers. I'm sure we're going to derive it from alcohol consumption or something along those lines. But uh, yeah, we've got a lot that we're you know, a lot of bridges in this future that we're going to have to cross. Well, Matt, this has uh, really been a fascinating discussion. And uh, <laughs> if the podcast name uh, doesn't relate to anything, I don't know what what else could be better for us. But uh, we're going to. Okay watching this one yes we are hello everyone this is tom fox again i'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of compliance into the weeds if you've listened to this podcast on itunes i would greatly appreciate it if you would write the podcast as it would really help in our rankings and also get the word out about the only podcast that takes a deep dive into the erm space also if you have any questions, you can email me at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. You can email Matt at mkelly at radicalcompliance.com. Thank you once again for listening to this episode, and I hope you'll join us next week for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.